0: If there's only going to be three, three songs worth of photographs taken where you have to kind of cover the entire look and feel of the whole show, I want to get me on the flying V, me on the organ, me out front with the microphone shaking my wang all around, and probably me on an acoustic guitar.
1: Welcome to Behind the Set List, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. This week
2: we talked to the singer, songwriter, rocker, all around musician, Grace Potter. I really enjoyed this conversation, Jay. What about you?
1: I really did. I I just felt like uh, we were old friends. Um, She told us uh, some really great stories. We talked about her new album, uh, Mother Road which to my ears it sounds like uh, a great rolling stones track like honky tonk woman um, it really has that sort of 70s nod um, really great stuff
2: yeah it's, it's very 70s very old school but very familiar at the same time um, i i like that she's not caught in a time warp but she certainly does appreciate her parents record collection that she grew up on um, that's mother road out august 18th She plays a number of those songs in the set that we looked at and we talked about. One of the things that stuck out to me, and I know it stuck out to you too because you're a photographer, is that she explained how being photographed in the first three songs of the show impacts
1: the songs that she opens a set with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've never heard an artist articulate that before, but for those that don't know, typically the press, when they come to cover a show, they're allowed to shoot the first three songs from the photo pit and then they leave. And what Grace told us is that she purposefully will do uh, a song on the piano. She'll do a song with her flying V and then maybe she'll do a song where she's just singing. So all three of those looks are captured by those photographers. I thought that was amazing.
2: Yeah, and she she said it like she was coming out, you know, with a big secret. <laughs> Maybe not a secret, you know, we both know that, you know, most photographers have very limited time to shoot. But it totally makes yeah. sense
1: if she wants, you know, photographers to have a lot of different looks. Yeah, absolutely. There was a really great quote that I think set up this album um mother road her her new album which is a line from uh, grapes of wrath she said when i was 19 i sat down with a music executive he offered me some advice he said don't write road songs they're not relatable they make you sound old and used up give people the fantasy of your life nobody wants to know what it's really like and uh, she didn't take that advice, and and thankfully she didn't take that advice because this is uh, another great album uh, with some really great road songs.
2: She also, yeah, she also talked about the 2010 song "You and Tequila," uh, the Kenny Chesney song that she performed on, and she drops it into her sets. It's very well known, and um, really interesting story about her friendship and relationship with Kenny Chesney.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So now without further ado, here's Grace Potter behind the set list. Let it roll. Grace, thanks so much for joining us today. I had the opportunity to listen to your new album, Mother Road, that comes out August 18th. Got a couple of tracks out from that. It's a fantastic album, and I would love to hear from you uh, what is this album all about? It sounds like just this great portrait of life on the road, but I wanted to hear it straight from you. What What is Mother Road about?
0: I, I think it's a cathartic betrayal of everything I ever thought I wanted in life, where I finally kind of accept that nothing is what I thought it was going to be. And yet it's too late because I'm an old dog and you can't teach me new tricks. And the road is all I know, you know? It it really is kind of an explosive, um, reactionary, almost a, like a teenage tantrum, uh, you know that I had to I had to have in order to move through what felt like an eternity of not being able to tour, honestly.
1: And that was because of the lockdown pandemic, stopping all of those yeah t- touring. yeah I
0: mean. Yeah and I I did all the things you could do. I mean I was I was sort of a pilgrim of the what the fuck are we going to do now um species like we we did the live streams, we did um you know from my house, then I did every single drive-in uh you know drive-in show you could do, all these sort of uh, experiments in socially distanced performance um arts spaces and and um in every capacity uh, just trying to find my way back to center. And it, it, we never really got there. You know, it was just, it was just a, a, a wild social experiment. Um, and it really rocked me to the core. So, so this record was my way of trying to come to terms with that and accept it for, for what it is and actually maybe even enjoy it.
1: I saw a lot of those videos and they were great. I mean, I love some of the cover tunes you did. I love some of those performances. They were really fun, but it's not the same, you know, when you're,
0: it's, it's not, just not. Yeah. I think it allowed me to tap into another part of myself that I, I didn't realize was sort of hiding in the wings, which is that I, I I'm a wing nut. Like I'm a crazy person. <laughs> and, and I really enjoyed sharing my, my comedic side and the, the true me, the, the me that people know when, when they come and hang out, or even if I just, you know, hang out outside the bus and, and sign a few records or do a meet and greet, if you'd spend any amount of time around me, you figure out that, I am absolutely not some luscious Barbarella rock star. I am a complete kook. Um, (laughs) um, And I think I was able to let my freak flag fly a little bit on those live streams. And and you got to see the real me and kind of hang out in my living room because literally we did it in my living room.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) You know, I looked I took a look at your tour history. You still played a lot of dates. And as they're listed on set list, it, it says solo acoustic 2020. Um, are these live stream shows that have been posted online?
0: Some of them are. I mean, I did a Red Rocks, you know, the Red Red Rocks one was probably the most sort of prominent um, in in position of of before I started making Mother Road and after people figured out like, wow, this isn't going to end anytime soon. I started really getting serious about booking shows and trying to figure out how we're going to do this. And Red Rocks, culminated I believe it was in 2021 my solo performance there which was a sold out show I mean you know socially distanced sold out show but it also streamed on mandolin and I know that that has just become available as well as a few others that weren't weren't available but we've been sort of working through that content to try to get it out and into the world because I think that the other thing that was really cool about it was the set lists and it was such a collaborative experience with the fans and some of it was all a request where I would spend the week waiting for people to uh, come up with interesting ideas or make suggestions that I maybe I wouldn't have thought of. And it really serviced my own understanding of what people want to hear me sing about or hear me sing of what what the um, genres and, and the way in which everybody kind of wanders through my back catalog. And they certainly wanted to hear my songs, but a lot of the cover songs were just so fun and unexpected. And it just, it turned into like my favorite little, you know, collaborative art project.
1: How much did the venue play into that? Because Red Rocks is just such a special place to go and it's, it's just iconic. How much did that sort of help with the, uh, with that show?
0: Um, A a huge amount, because the second that you announce that you're going to be playing Red Rocks, you have friends booking tickets or planning road trips to come meet you and find you or or people who've been waiting their whole lives to go. And finally, the date connects. Um, You know, I've played Red Rocks now probably 12, 13 times, um, both by myself uh, with my band from the Midnight uh, and Daylight era tours before the pandemic, but also uh, with the Nocturnals and opening for Big Head Todd and Dave Matthews and playing co with Derek trucks and Susan Tedeschi and, you know, all these shows the, the, everybody, whoever comes to Red Rocks comes for a reason. And it's, it's like a pilgrimage. So when you are making a plan for a trip like that, for the sake of music, you definitely think extra hard about what songs you want to hear and, and and it really it's um it's torture for the artist because we have to actually slim down the set list and make it all work <laughs> and it's, it's challenging you know it's challenging to slide it all in but but that's that's the fun of it to me
2: what's that process like for you when when you're out on the road and i mean let's take this year for example you've been out on the road a lot this year already from night to night is the set changing or are you playing basically the same stuff
0: it's a little bit of both. So it's changing less than I plan for it to because I, I brought in two new band members. And every time I'm shifting things up and uh, sort of reinventing the show, um, I realize that there, there's not just new band members. There's also a new guitar tech. There's a new front of house sound person. Uh, we have a new monitor guy. We've had a new monitor person pretty much at almost every leg of this tour um and it's it's mainly because of personnel shift and, and the challenges that have come with um with a shifting uh, live music climate um there's so many people who left live music and touring all together during the pandemic so it does mean that i have to limit my <laughs> my freewheeling um stuff that i could do on the solo tours because when i'm solo i can just do whatever i want but in this last round so we played red rocks three weeks ago um I have a bank of about 25 to 30 songs that, with a new band that they know. And I can just, we can pull them out of a hat and do them on the spot. But when I'm writing the set list, I have to put some intention into really keeping track of like, you know, who's changing over guitars and how stressful it's going to feel for everybody on stage. Because even though, you know, there's, there's five band members on stage, there's really 10, 10 people performing, uh, uh, at any given point. So you really have to be considerate to to the production crew and give them a chance to adjust, um, especially at these sort of throw and go festivals where there's not a lot of time to dial things in and make it perfect, you know.
1: The set that we're looking at was from Salt Lake City, June 11th. And yep. you just had a killer intro, just a one-two punch. I mean, it was uh, Medicine, Great Opener, Ah Mary, kind of shifts gears a little bit and then lights it up. And then, you know, one of your more popular tracks, Empty Heart, which is sort of like, you know, your version of We Will Rock You, you know, it's like those first three just light the place up. Talk a little bit about how you kind of craft your intro to your shows. And are these three typically close to the front?
0: They do end up at the front a lot. Um, And, and I'm going to be the probably maybe say something that nobody else will admit to, but there's photographers for the first three songs. So I, I like to have at least I like to play three different instruments so I can show off what a badass I am. OK, that's really what's going on there is that I'm trying to figure out how if there's only going to be three, three songs worth of photographs taken where you have to kind of cover the entire look and feel of the whole show. I want to get me on the flying V. Me on the organ, me out front with the microphone shaking my wang all around, and probably me on an acoustic guitar.
2: Wow. Jay, is that the first time? Is that the first time we've had a guest say that? Jay's Jay's a photographer. He knows the deal. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's the
0: truth. It's the real ass truth. And I mean, it's show business. (laughs) And I've been at this for 20 years. And I promise you, I've done experimentations where... You know, I, I keep it really like sm- simmering and mellow and everything's backlit and in silhouette. And it's a total bummer for the photographers. Wow. And it's a total bummer for the crowd because it's like the slow burn where everybody is just amped up. And the anticipation has led to this thing is to give them the fireworks at the beginning, save a few, you know, firecrackers for the middle of the set and then blow torch the whole place, you know, with a flamethrower at the end. What's the big deal? <laughs>
1: Grace, your honesty is refreshing.
0: <laughs> I mean, I've, I've just, I'm tired of not telling the truth. It's too much to remember.
2: <laughs> the, the fifth song on this set, Grace, is the new song Mother Road. It sounds a lot like a Rolling Stones song. Uh, you know, the album has a lot of 70s, like a lot of your music. But one thing I love about your music is it doesn't sound like you're in a time warp. It sounds like the 70s, but just influenced by the 70s. And it's your modern take on the 70s.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, my parents had an epic record collection. They still do. And, and that wall of records, I climbed up it when I was too small to reach for the high, the high stuff. And, um, I, you know, it, it informed me in, in so many ways because that music to me was pop music. I didn't I wasn't really fully aware of the radio or what pop music even was. You know, growing up in the 80s in Vermont, um, there, there, there's not a huge amount of um, access to, like, you can't just walk around in a mall and hear the new hit songs. There are no freaking malls, um, you know, and, and then you get to this place where you're just starting to figure out what you like. You maybe say I'm, I'm nine or 10 or 11 and dad let me um, start making mixtapes of my own. You know, I'd save up money, buy a couple of blank cassettes. And start making mixtapes for my friends and finding ways to speak through music and and kind of show off my personality to people um, and use it as a bit of a language. And it always came back to the 70s for me, even though I did dip into the 90s. I loved I loved Nirvana. I loved Green Day. I loved Elena's Morissette and Tripping Daisy and Space Hog. And, you know, um, I especially loved a lot of that Tom Petty stuff that came out in the 90s. Where people were rediscovering him a new generation, same with Aerosmith, there were these sort of new, you know, older rocker bands, you know, coming back into relevance in a really new way. And now they've got kids that are my age. and, and I thought that was really cool, that dads were still kicking ass and, and rocking, and Tina Turner, uh, my, my favorite human on the planet, um, or off the planet. Also, you know, had this sort of comeback moment um, in a very specific and influential time in my life where it it definitely it makes the gears grind and it makes you stop and look at what's happening in modern music and what happened then. And if if I'm doing the A, B, I'm doing the sort of attempt at a scientific experiment of, you know, apples to oranges, I'm going to choose the 70s orange every fucking time. <laughs>
1: I love that. I was watching the video for mother road and at the beginning you're having a conversation and you, you mentioned the term spaghettification, which I actually knew what that meant because I follow Neil deGrasse Tyson. And when you said that, I was like, you know, spaghetti vacation. It's like, (laughs) I knew exactly where you guys were going with that. That video is just (laughs) joyful uh, in its (laughs) insanity. How in the hell did that come together?
0: Uh, I have been working on that particular video and or the proof of concept for The Mother Road. Orig- it's, uh, the Mother Road is an original motion picture soundtrack for an invisible movie. So uh, I'm working on the, the making the movie not invisible, but it is also a passion of mine. And filmmaking was what I was doing when I when the nocturnals cracked into my life. Um, I was I was a film major at St. Lawrence University. So there was a lot of um, playful banter that went on uh, in my own head, by myself in the car, of like, what what would my life have been like if I had just continued making films and, and being a filmmaker? and Or maybe even, you know, being a production designer, which was something I was passionate about. Or scoring movies, which I remember when Titanic came out, I wasn't allowed to go into the movies and watch it, but when it became available on on video cassette. Um, I was only allowed to watch it if I played or if we did something creative at home. You know, so we put in the tape one and I play along with the score and this beautiful piano score in that in that movie. And it, it was very influential for me. It made me want to learn more about scoring films. And... So, um, so Mother Road music video was essentially, you know, the toaster strudel version of you know a very uh complex uh, you know arrangement of ideas and concepts and scripts that i had started and storylines that weave together throughout the entire um album um and i think there's there's more to be there's more to see there i think that was really just teeing up what what is going to be the adventure that is mother road there's there's a lot to unpack there but there's a reason i didn't unpack it all in the video and why it's it's sort of a it's a carrot dangling daring you to to jump around the racetrack with me
2: and we've got to ask you about a song you played a couple songs after mother Road, some velvet morning the lee hazelwood song now we looked online and it looks like this is the only time it's ever at least been recorded on setlist uh that you played so this is the only time you played that and. This is uh, late 60s, I believe, not the 70s. And if, if you had to make me guess what cover song Grace Potter is going to do, I probably would not have guessed this one. So how did this come about?
0: Well, maybe it's because I knew I had a Billboard set list interview coming up <laughs> and I wanted to fuck with you guys, you know. Um, but probably more than that, I don't remember exactly how I got on the topic of it, but I think it had to do with Lucas Nelson, Willie's son. Um, because I had played Red Butte Gardens before. It's a gorgeous venue. It's really, it's a lot like Red Rocks in the way that it is uh, sort of immersed in nature. Um, And the first time I ever played there, Lucas was opening for me and his band, Promise of the Real. Um, And I had this idea, having heard that song on the way in to that show, that me and Lucas should do like a Lee Hazelwood, Nancy Sinatra duets thing um with a bunch of songs and and i I was really into it i love the idea of his voice and my voice we we both have very rare interesting um voices and and to put the two of them together could be really compelling um and i think i might have been telling the audience about that or if not it was just sort of buried in my subconscious that that was um a beautiful memory of, of playing with lucas and really just being in awe of his stage presence and his performance um and so, I, somewhere in there, I was probably I was probably talking a lot, and then suddenly just started singing that song uh, because that's what happens. I sort of wander in and out. Thanks to the live streams, I learned how to sort of meld conversation and song, and reference and inspiration, and 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 really invite the audience in to the weird threads of my mind, and, and um, weave, you know. Uh, a tapestry together with the audience. It's it's oftentimes prompted by the audience, but I don't think anybody yelled out and requested some velvet morning. I d- I doubt they did
1: <laughs> talk about what it's like. Uh picture yourself at at Red Rocks and you kick off something that I want. Yeah. And you look out over that crowd and it starts to move. And I've been to Red Rocks many times, and I know it's one of those venues that the inhibitions are gone. People are there to be a part of something. And when the music starts, they move, but that song can move even the toughest of crowds. Talk about something that I want. And when you start playing that, what do you, what are you seeing from the stage?
0: It's so funny that you say that because I always was really shy about playing that song and it was only recently when I realized, because I'm not like a stats guy, so I don't really keep track of like what people are listening to from my music, but somebody pointed out that that is my number one song that comes up when you search Grace Potter, that's the song. Of course it would be. It was in a fucking Disney movie, you know? And I was shy <laughs> about it because I, I recorded it when I was in the nocturnals, but I didn't record it with the nocturnals. So I always kind of felt, especially early on as a, young woman coming up through the ranks like apologetic when I didn't have something to offer them. I wanted them to th- feel, you know, validated and like I was really happy to have them around because I was. Uh, and I think there's there was some piece of me that always felt kind of embarrassed about doing that song even though I love it. And the crowd just Grief every time. So I'm finally, you know, at the tender age of 40 figuring out that I can play whatever the hell I want. And I wrote that song based on the person I am. You know, that song really is such an epic reflection of me as a kid. Apparently I would say that my mom, I, you know, I'd be you know, in a bakery or, you know, at a yoga studio or, you know, at, at, picking up firewood from the local farm next door. And I'd be bummed out and my mom would be like, well, what do you want? And I would be like, "Mm, no, Grace, what, what, what do you want? I'd say, I want something that I want. (laughs) Like, I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. But that is still so how I feel and how I process because it isn't just this thing. It's not always an object. It's sometimes this, uh, you know, insurmountable horizon. There's something out there and I know it's there and I know it's waiting for me and I got to go find it. So that song feels like that. When I kick into that song and I look out at the crowd, they're with me, they're right there on that horizon, chasing it down with me. And it just feels incredibly rewarding to, to know that that song has made its way across across the world and back to, uh, back to the Red Rocks Amphitheater or, or Red Butte Gardens as it was uh, that night. You know, People really do, they, especially when they're cold, because you know, you're up in the hills and mountains, uh, at night it gets cold. And you can only put on so many sweatshirts before you just got to start wiggling. So that song really does it for them.
2: <laughs> you dropped another song in the set list, another new song, Rose Colored Rearview. And, and that one has not even been released online, I don't believe yet. So very cool that you you give us the people a song they're not familiar with at all. And it's a fantastic song, I have to say. I really love it. What's the what's the reaction and what's it like throwing a song out to the crowd that they have not heard?
0: Well, I think, you know, back in the early days touring around when I wasn't sure if I liked a song or not, I would road test it, you know. And I was always um, even songs like Paris Ooh La La. I loved playing that song in tiny clubs and places where I could watch people and have a better understanding of the the crowd's reaction based on how many people stop talking, you know, or stop going over the jukebox or stop playing pool or, you know, just, just start looking toward the stage. And it's, it's very um, palpable when a song is really hitting. Um, And for me, uh, a lot of these new songs from Mother Road, it feels so much like the early days of the nocturnals. It feels like the early days, even before the nocturnals, when I would play, you know, these cafes and little tiny bars and, um, and really be uh, kind of gingerly stepping into my own, um, my own truth and my own sort of honoring of my songwriting, um, where in order to really believe in yourself, you have to kind of check and make sure with your gut that it feels good to play live. And uh, every song on Mother Road feels great to play live. I've, I can confirm that because I have done it now a couple of times, uh, just in rehearsals. But yeah, I, I am trickling out the new songs for the fans because that's how I've always done it. And you know, what's the point of keeping it secret? It's, it's, it's a cool song, you know,
1: <laughs> it's a really cool song. And I, I had to take a double take because when I first saw the track listing and saw rose colored Rearview." I had heard that title before because an artist that I really like, uh, Mark Arelli, has a song called Rose Colored Rearview. And I went, oh my gosh, she's covering Wait, Mark really? Arelli. Yeah. I did
0: not know that. Oh my God. That's wild. And it's the that's
1: only crazy. other version or not version, but you know, the, the only other song I've ever seen called Rose Colored Rearview. And it's totally different than yours. I mean, that's a very
0: yours. random title. It was, it, so that actually, that title, I want to give credit where credit is due. Meg McCree, who um, I co-wrote, uh, with Hillary Lindsay, who brought Meg McCree in. She's a great young songwriter from Nashville. Uh, I actually think she's from Georgia originally, but um, she, she was, she's in her 20s. And we were together writing Rose Colored Rearview as well as the song on the album called All My Ghosts. And she had this idea that even as a young woman, she's kind of already looking back at like the best days of her life. in my rearview everything is brand new people are always saying like, you know, better and better and right. right. go by real quick and whatever she's like i've been looking back the whole time and she said I, i've been wanting to write a song about looking back in the rearview mirror and, and thinking that it's better than it really was and um and that's what actually inspired that song so i'm 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 totally shocked and surprised to hear there's another one because I know she ain't no she ain't no uh what do you call it when they steal stuff but you know
1: plagiarize Yeah, no, no Mark, not Mark at all Arelli? in fact
0: Mark, McCrelly
1: Mark Urelli. it's E-R-E-L-L-I Urelly okay. check it out it's the songs are nothing alike I love but they're it. both Beautiful songs. And I thought that was a, a nice coincidence. Love it. The next song in your set is your duet with Kenny Chesney, uh, you and Tequila. Oh, yeah. Beautiful harmonies. Tell us about how that came about.
0: I just love I love talking about this song. I love the way it all came together. I love how it changed my life and my career. I love the story of how two oddballs like me and Kenny Chesney <laughs> um, could sing a song written by two other incredible oddballs, like, you know, Matrice Berg and Dina Carter. Those are, um, those are the kind of coincidences and life intersections that change. Yeah. They change all uh, careers and also the hearts of so many people. Um, it's, you know, this love song about hating the way that this love feels. And for me, uh, I have so much history with the song. I've taken it around the world and sung it on boats and in football stadiums and in coffee houses and on the top of mountains and out on the beaches of Malibu. And, you know, I've driven, uh, you know, stunt cars and music videos and all <laughs> these crazy things. And it's just one of my favorite moments where I was really taught what it means to cross over and to connect with a larger audience and, and really what that what that means for for a person who's really just trying to get as much joy out into the universe as possible, which is definitely my job. That's my number one job. That's my, my purpose, if you will. Um, I don't know if, if that was ever sort of preordained by anybody else, but it definitely feels right when I'm doing it. And that song, God, sing it, getting everybody to sing along, too, because everybody knows the words. Even people who don't know the song kind of know the song, and uh god it just makes me smile to think about it
2: speaking of kenny chesney uh, he has played the music festival that you co-founded grand point north a number of times right yes and he,
0: he turns up almost every year i mean he can't i can't keep him away <laughs>
2: <laughs> that festival took a break because of covid like so many other festivals and it and it hasn't returned and what's the status on that
0: oh god i would give anything to have a better status report um like I said, you know, we, we lost so many people in the midst of the, the, the pandemic. A lot of the folks that were on the ground floor level of that festival, the organizers, the people that build out the infrastructure, the security team, the, the details that go into a festival like that in a small state like Vermont, where Burlington and the city of Burlington really needs um, to, to know what they're getting into because throwing a larger festival or uh, allowing too many people into town can really genuinely cause cause safety problems, and um, and when we when we started looking into it, um, I think honestly I never thought of it as a thing for making money. I never thought of it as a uh, an investment in anything other than just you know sharing my love of my community and sharing and featuring local farmers and local you know. Um, local bands and then bringing my cool friends and fun people that I've met out on the road and being like, look at this. This is what I do when I'm not out on the road. So it felt like um, losing, you know, losing my ability to contribute to the community. Uh, And it's still something we're sort of ongoing and and working on. Um, But to be honest, it's just it's purely financial on the the other end of it. Um, There are people that aren't me that are like we if we're not going to make money and it's that expensive to make this happen um and the city has already you know allocated that amount of time and you know the the sort of brute force of people that need to be there to make it happen and it's all going somewhere else than it does that's what happens when you're in a state with only 600,000 people you know so I'm very much hoping that we the clouds will part and some you know miracle person will come through and provide us with the funding and and open that pathway for us where We can start getting some, some help from out of state, but, uh, but in state it's, it's tricky. It's really tricky.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Um, when I was looking through some of your videos, um, I came across one, it's only a minute and 15 seconds long. It's called the official album trailer, uh, for mother road. And there's a quote uh, that you open it up with, um, that I would love to have you talk about because I was really moved by it. Um, you said, uh, when I was 19, I sat down with a music executive. He offered me some advice. He said, don't write road songs. They're not relatable. They make you sound old and used up. Give people the fantasy of your life. Nobody wants to know what it's really like. I got goosebumps when I read that, or read that, when I listened to you say that. Wow. Talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I was coming into the music industry in a time when uh, I think there was a huge sort of backlash against, uh, you know, second wave feminism <laughs> and, uh, and sort of these outspoken female voices. Uh, we weren't being quieted necessarily, but, you know, Dixie Chicks shut up and sing. Uh, this is all right around that window of time where it was really difficult to um, find my voice in the, in the sort of clamoring, uh, you know, jostling for getting females on the radio Um, the concern was that in order for me to be played on the radio, I definitely couldn't sound like anybody else, but also that I needed to sound familiar. And the conversation went exactly like, uh, what was said in in my quote that I gave, although I very specifically gave him an accent that is not the same. So, so as to protect his reputation, (laughs) (laughs) Because he was he was telling me the truth, and sadly that was the reality. When and when I was coming up in the industry, that was exactly the state of the union. They wanted a fresh faced hippie, Barbarella, country bumpkin who could transform and transcend, um, and who could sing about everyone and everything all at once. Just like you know, society would like to um, allow women to sort of break out of our our normative roles uh, we also have to kind of find our way back in and file ourselves back into the cabinets uh when people get uncomfortable and I think there's been a, a huge amount of me learning the, the learning curve being that I never cared what people thought and in hearing that particular quote it really really conjured for me the the evil Knievel within myself I was like well fuck you man <laughs> like, if that's the box i'm trying to check and if that's the way that people want me if they want to keep me contained or place me in in you know in a barbie doll box that will never be opened or whatever i i'd rather just kick down the door and i don't know go work at a hardware store or something you know
2: i want to get to the encore here um you played 14 songs with a two-song encore and the last two are the Lion, the Beast, the Beat, and paris o la la and they seem like they could go at the front of the show if you want to bring out something boisterous and and bring the energy, or they could go at the back also and they they seem like great encore songs do you Do you like to end with these two
0: i just like you said, I think there there are there's a bookend effect uh like I said you know you open with fireworks close with a flamethrower um that this is very much a couple of songs that can do that. It's not the only two uh, that that can do that, but the one two punch that I like with that is that I don't have to do a guitar changeover. I can stay in F sharp. Um, And so I know that sound, I'm gonna get kind of nerdy with you here, but like I do this kind of Jimmy Page open tuning without a major string. And um, and for me, there's a way that once you settle into a key, it creates a mode where even if the tempo changes, Um, or even the feel or the song or the topic changes, um, you've created an agreement with the audience that there's this, a pulse and a a heartbeat and a a wavelength that you're going to maintain. And, um, there's, I have a really hard time in live music with stopping. I hate stopping. And I'm sure if you listen to my live shows, you can hear there's a lot of times where there's, uh, um, a great deal of transitioning from one song into another and from one key into another, because, uh, I don't like being given blank spaces when it's possible to create an arc and a bridge between two songs. Uh, because what happens is when there's quiet, then I talk. And when I talk, listen, I might say some cool stuff, but like 10 minutes later, I'm still talking. Um, I I like the energy, and I I believe in making that agreement with the audience that that there will be three songs in a row before anything stops. So for me, what's cool about "Line the Beast the Beat" is that it is kind of two songs. You know, there's this intro piece with the drum section and the sort of summoning, almost a uh, you know invocation of um, an audience and band. Uh, consummation of the marriage if you will where we can we come together we're singing together I'm reaching out to the crowd I'm I'm communicating with the crowd I'm encouraging them to sing along and then suddenly the beat changes and we get into the the body of the song line the beast of Beat, which is a a real pace shift from the intro and then at the end of that song it's a big old blazing you know jet engine airliner and landing um, and So we could easily end it there, but what I also really like and um, enjoy in participating with the audience in the set list creation is if I don't need to pee, there's no reason to leave the (laughs) stage. Encores are bullshit and it's way more fun to to leave when there's a reason to and then make them wonder if you're going to come back. And then when you do, it's just, it's just, it's so much more rewarding. Um, then just leaving out of okay, this is the part where we walk off stage. So um, that's why Paris ended up back to back with Line the Beast the Beat. Is that there's an opportunity to end the song, but if we're doing great and if the you know if the fireworks are firing off, if the flamethrowers got enough fuel in it, we'll just keep going. And that's what we did at Red Butte. And um, we often we often will stop there. But um, yeah, I just didn't need to pee that day.
1: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> As we wind down here, Grace, I wanted to ask you about uh, one of my favorite song well, I guess it's songs, uh, "Nothing but Water." The, the acapella stuff, yes. is just, it's just stunning. And I can imagine you can open a show like that, you could close a show like yep. that. It's just Absolutely. one of those things that it gets people's attention. And then, you know, the second part of that, it almost sounds to me like a gospel inspirational thing. Like you're, yep. you know, talk a little bit about Nothing But Water, because I absolutely love those two
0: uh, pieces. Yeah, thank you. And and Nothing But The Water is also one that has, again, very much like Lion, the Beast, the Beat, there are these two parts to it, um, which, uh, you know, is, is just how I am. I think about music that I love, and it usually has uh, the, the sort of fire and water element together. So for me, that song... Was my opportunity to sort of unveil um, the part of my personality that grew up wishing I, I had gone to, you know, gospel choir and wishing that I had had a church to go to that made music like that. Um, and because I didn't, and I grew up in Vermont, uh, it was very, it was very interesting, sort of the study of, and the, I guess it's a case study in how much I knew I didn't really belong. Uh, anywhere in particular um, and how much I felt the calling of music because to me when I'm singing gospel I feel more at home than anywhere it, it really does feel like um, those chords and that summoning of uh, the spiritual energy you know uh, it, it got under my skin very early on as a kid listening to the Staple Singers or Mahalia Jackson or Sister Rosetta Thorpe like those are those are the those are the instrumentals and then the vocals that like fully transcended anything human that i had ever witnessed in my life it, up until that point as a as a young teenager maybe 12 13 year old just going holy shit i got to get into this this you know zeppelin is amazing and the who is great jethro tull rocks i love the band but what the fuck is this so that that storytelling finally made its way into my lyrics and my songwriting when I when I came up with nothing but the water and I'm I'm very very proud of that one and I continue to um, yeah that one is great opener great closer great mid set like um, reset because I we I can break it down all the way to just me again where sometimes the audience needs an ear break so I'll I'll strip it down to a you you and tequila or uh, one of the other new songs on Mother Road is called Little Hitchhiker where it could just be me solo on a guitar, and then I can take it down one step further to just me with my voice. And that I think is a very powerful thing to give the audience a little ear break, but also to show um, what a voice can do, especially in a venue, an outdoor venue like Red Butte Gardens or or Red Rocks, where it it really is just you and the rocks, you and nature, and, and the world can see you naked and you can see the world naked and it it just fits right in
2: grace potter thank you so much for joining us you have a lot of tour dates through the rest of the year so good luck out on the road and good luck with the album release
0: oh thank you so much i really i love what y'all do i'm so glad that there is a place and a space for the set list it's it's been my life joy and it's been a great joy speaking with you two today so thanks for having me
1: yeah it was a joy thank you so much